I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Wearing the brooch was a risk, but surely no one would recognize it. Audrey Thorpe lingered by the wall in the lobby of Savannah's Jepson Center for the Arts. Waiters circulated with trays of champagne and bite-sized crab cakes while the museum's donors mingled and congratulated themselves on another fine exhibition. Audrey leaned against a linen-skirted table for support and returned a friend's wave across the crowd. At her age, the room's pale stone floor was almost as treacherous as an ice rink. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Heather Bell Adams. Her novel, The Good Luck Stone, tells the story of 90-year-old Audrey Thorpe, a widow living alone in a historic Savannah mansion, worrying about her failing health. Her granddaughter hires Laurel, a part-time caregiver with whom Audrey starts becoming friends. Then, Audrey embarks on a journey without leaving any information or clues about what seems to be her disappearance. Going back and forth between modern Savannah and the jungles of the Philippines, where she served as a nurse during World War II, we watch Audrey grappling with past regrets, long-faded memories, and an enormous secret. Hi, Heather. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be here talking with you. So what inspired you to write The Good Luck Stone? And can you talk a little bit about the title? Yes, I was inspired to write The Good Luck Stone because I always wanted to do a dual timeline story with the historical portion being in World War II. However, I feel like there are so many good World War II stories set in Europe that I wanted to set mine in the South Pacific. So that is just a little bit of a different angle on the World War II storyline. And then for the present day storyline, I have long been inspired by Savannah, Georgia, which is a town my family has uh, visited for many years. And in fact, uh, my mother-in-law recently moved there. And it just is a place that has so much history to it. And obviously beauty as well with these historic mansions. (laughs) Um, And I always wondered who lives in these beautiful houses and 
what might their story be? And so it seemed to make sense to me to combine those two story ideas so that we have the Savannah Society woman with a secret past that dates back to World War II. Mm. So Audrey, your protagonist, is so proud that in her 90 years, she's never had a broken bone. Can you can you introduce us to her? And is she modeled on anyone in particular? That's a great question. She's not necessarily modeled on anyone from my own life, although I will say that a lot of her qualities, her desire to be independent specifically, uh, is very familiar to me uh, from my grandmother, Belle, my grandmother, Ward, my great-grandmother, Ward, uh, these this tradition of strong Southern women. And Audrey Thorpe is very much within that tradition. She wants to be left alone. She wants to be independent. Although she's 90 years old and experiences some physical limitations as a result of her age, she's very much with it mentally. She's very um, tuned in, uh, you know, very smart, very accomplished. And when we meet her at the start of the novel, Audrey is very concerned with the notion of legacy. And she's looking back in a way over her life, recognizing that she is 90 years old and she doesn't know how much time she has remaining. She thinks about her legacy and her reputation and what her family thinks about her now and how they might remember her. And so that leads her then to think about this momentous decision that she made during the war. Mm-hmm. Can you say something about the special brooch that she wears to the museum event at the very beginning of the book? Yes. I uh, love stories that uh, involve objects and family heirlooms and jewelry and things like that. And so um The first line of the book, as you mentioned, is uh, referring to this brooch of Audrey's. Um, She is thinking to herself that wearing the brooch uh, is risky, but surely no one will recognize it. And so this is a jade brooch carved in the shape of a hibiscus bloom that Audrey has basically kept hidden uh, since she received the brooch from her friend during the war. And it's a different piece of jewelry from the typical jewelry that a Southern society woman of her age and standing might wear, you know, the, the diamond watch and the pearls uh, around her neck uh, that you might expect. Uh, But she has pulled out the brooch because she's attending in our first scene, a museum exhibit about Filipino artifacts. And we then learn pretty quickly that she received this brooch when she served as a nurse in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So we'll get back to the Philippines, but uh, all she has, her whole family consists of her granddaughter and her great-grandson. What, uh, what's up with Dina? And does she care about Audrey? <laughs> I think she does in her own way. Um, I did a lot of revision with Deanna's character because I didn't want her to come across as a cardboard villain. Uh, But I do think that she's very self-centered. I think she, in some ways, is looking to, I don't want to say be rid of her grandmother in the sense that she doesn't want her around, but she doesn't necessarily want Audrey to be her problem. And so she pretty quickly uh, 
jumps to this idea that Audrey needs help around the house, which, you know, I can somewhat sympathize with that. Uh, her, her grandmother is old and is faltering at, at times, but I hope that the reader comes away with the sense of Deanna as uh, being someone who is self-centered and just doesn't want to be bothered with her grandmother, right? She'd rather um, check this item off her list, <laughs> if you will, by hiring a caretaker to deal with her grandmother. I just want you to know I'm on Deanna's side. We're fighting with both my 89-year-old mother and my our, my 97-year-old mother-in-law to get more caregiving help. <laughs> so. Well, yes, I, you know, there, there are definitely so many situations I know that people deal with um, where, you know, an older family member needs some help and won't necessarily admit <laughs> that they need some help because they don't want to give up that independence. So Deanna finds Laurel. What can you say about Laurel and her son and her husband? Yes. So Laurel Eaton is a 40-some-year-old woman who is a little bit down on her luck. She's never quite found her way in terms of a career. She's somewhat new to Savannah, so she's uh, struggled a bit to find a job in Savannah, which is a somewhat insular, uh, closed society, particularly to newcomers um, without money. (laughs) She and her husband don't have money. Um, And her son, Oliver, is 10 years old. He's an only child. He is struggling a bit with making friends at his new school in Savannah. And I liked how, as I was writing the book, I didn't necessarily do this on purpose, but I liked how the theme of friendship plays out through, obviously, Audrey's storyline, but also through Laurel, because she considers, as she gets to know Audrey better, she considers them to be friends even though they're in an employer-employee relationship. And then uh, her son is struggling to make friends at his new school, and so he's looking to uh, the adults in his life for advice about how to do that. And so in that way, the theme of of friendship is threaded uh, throughout the narrative. Uh, You also mentioned uh, Laurel's husband, Jay, who I intended as uh, somewhat of a foil to Laurel. He considers her to be a bit naive when she thinks that uh, Audrey Thorpe is her friend. You know, he, he is a bit of a reality check on her and says, well, hold on. How much, how much do you really know about this woman? You haven't really spent that much time with her. He potentially thinks Laurel is being a bit naive, um, just falling into this uh, wealthy Savannah family too, a bit too easily. Um, and so I wanted the reader at times in this story to have that doubt as well, to think, well, uh, is Laurel really jumping into this too quickly? And, and why does she necessarily feel so close to Audrey? Why does she think she really knows her? How well does she know her? And how well do we as a reader know her? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. 
Priceline. Mm-hmm. And then what's the relationship between Deanna and Laurel? They're about the same age. Yes, they are the same age, but they are running in very different circles in Savannah. And Deanna is the one person in the story who Laurel really does not give the benefit of the doubt to. She uh, just assumes from the beginning that Deanna is out for herself, that she's snobbish. Um, And to some extent, that's true. But I hope by the end of the book, there are some nuances revealed as Laurel gets to know Deanna a little bit better and what's been driving her throughout the story. Mm -hmm. Audrey receives a letter that pulls her back into the past. Can you talk about why it upsets her? Yes. So uh, I mentioned in the first scene that Audrey attends this museum exhibit of Filipino artifacts, and that reminds her of the time she spent in the Philippines uh, during World War II as a nurse. And shortly after that, uh, as you mentioned, she receives a letter in the mail uh, that is really a a blast from the past. This is someone she never expected to hear from again, didn't even know was alive or still around. Um, But that museum exhibit uh, has been featured in the newspapers and there were photographers there the night of the exhibit opening. And so there is Audrey's picture (laughs) in the newspaper And that brooch that she said from the beginning was a little bit of a risk to wear actually uh, is is featured prominently in that newspaper photograph. It it comes through very clearly. And so that, in fact, is what has enabled this person from Audrey's past to recognize her after all these years. It comes out fairly early in the story that um, the craftsperson who made the brooches explained that there were only three made like that. And so Audrey and her two friends who were also nurses in the Philippines are the only three people who would have brooches like that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Audrey's experience during the war and her relationship with those two other nurses. Yes. So as soon as Audrey arrives in Manila in uh, around September, 1941, She meets two other nurses, Penny and Kat, uh, and they bond right from the beginning. And they do so in part by circumstance. They're just happened to be thrown together um, in the same serving in the same unit. But it's also, of course, a very tension filled time for them. Uh, They have arrived in Manila at a time when war is not there yet, but certainly most people think it's on the horizon. And so there's this great sense of apprehension. Uh, The officers, wives, and children have already departed the Philippines. They've already made their escape. And uh, as the nurses go around, they're having cocktail parties and dances and a very active social life. There is this underlying sense that everything is about to change. They don't know when it's going to change and they don't know how war is going to arrive, but they certainly sense that that's coming. And so I think that it's only natural if you were in that situation. And even though I wasn't alive in World War II, I've never been a nurse. (laughs) um, I try to put myself in that situation and think, well, one thing that you would do or that I would do is find people who are in a similar situation and who feel the same way that you do. Because when you share with each other your apprehension, your fears, it helps to lessen the load a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
How did you research the Philippines uh, of the early 1940s, the practice of medicine, the equipment, the scheduling, the different locations, the accommodations, etc.? Yes, there was quite a bit of research that I did. Um, I will say that some of the details might have been taken from accounts of nurses who served in other areas of the South Pacific. So, for example, some of the tools that they might have used or some of the medical procedures, um, I might have taken that from someone who served in, you know, Tahiti or Australia or who knows where. Um, Because I did read a lot of books, um, both first-person accounts and then um, second-person research books about really what was going on in the whole region during World War II. And when I first had the idea to set the World War II storyline there, I really wasn't sure what part of the war I wanted to focus on. And I read this uh, description of a nursing unit in the Philippines in the spring of 1942. And some of the nurses were rescued by plane. And then shortly thereafter, some additional nurses were rescued by submarine. And the remaining nurses who were left, I think it was around 30, mostly Army nurses, uh, were taken prisoner. So they were a prisoner of war um, and sent to a Japanese internment camp for several years, actually. And I didn't know that that had happened. I didn't really think about nurses being taken prisoner of war. And that really struck me. And I also was struck by that scene of rescue, the dramatic middle of the night rescue by plane, and then the subsequent rescue by submarine. And I thought, how would that feel if you were on the ground with these women with whom you had served as nurses and become such close friends? You would call each other sisters. And some of you got rescued and some of you were left behind. And so that was kind of the dramatic moment that really did occur in history that as soon as I read that, I knew that would be the kernel around which the historical story would revolve. Mm-hmm. It was really uh, quite dramatic. <laughs> and uh, she has a little, she, she falls in love while she's there. Can you yes, and I'm glad, yes, I'm glad you mentioned the, the romance storyline. That's not something that comes naturally to me. I'm not a big reader of love stories necessarily, and I don't consider myself a good writer of love stories. But my agent, Carly Waters, uh, right from the start, I believe it was the first time she read the book, she made that comment. She said, Heather, I really feel that readers are going to want at least an angle, a little bit of a love story. You don't have to turn the whole thing into a love story, but give us a little bit. And I thought that was really good advice. And I'm glad that she said that because I do think that flushes out the uh, historical timeline and certainly would be something that as a young woman, Um, Audrey would be looking for in her life. And I think that's, you know, fine to include. And I had a fun time doing that. I, I didn't, as she um, said, turn the whole thing into a love story, but, um, but yes, I do think that that enriches uh, Audrey's time there just to have that additional angle that she was dealing with. So now we're back in the, I think 2010, 
right? Yeah. This is set in 2009. And Audrey, age 90, is taking a car trip to visit an old friend. And her trip is just beset with complications and deviations in the spirit of Odysseus's journey home. So why doesn't she give up? <laughs> That's a great comparison. Um, well, I, I have to admit that as much as I dearly love the character of Audrey Thorpe and I was pulling for her the whole way. I mean, I know she was my creation, but <laughs> I, I wanted her to succeed. By the same token, I personally felt it was a mistake for a 90-year-old woman who drives around town occasionally to embark on this car journey out on the interstate to an unfamiliar location. So as she set out, I was feeling very tense and nervous for her, right? And I knew that this journey was not necessarily going to go easily for her. First of all, that would make for a boring story. <laughs> um, second of all, I don't think it's realistic. I, I think it's realistic that she would attempt this um, and that she would not want to bring in Laurel, for example, to help her. This was really something she needed to do on her own and for herself. Um, but I think it's, definitely realistic that she would get lost along the way or be a very nervous driver when she's in traffic on the highway and that sort of thing. Um, and so I wanted the reader to experience that tension as, as Audrey continues her journey. Oh no, my heart was pounding because <laughs> I, I was imagining my mother pulling a stunt like that <laughs> having an all points bulletin, you know, <laughs> state, like cross right. state lines of the whole thing. So, right. Silver um, alert. Yes. <laughs> do you think Audrey had a happy life? Oh, no one's ever asked me that before. I love that question. I think in most regards, yes. Um, I don't think she would say that her life was perfect. Um, in fact, there's a moment in the story where she tells Laurel that it has not been the fairy tale that everybody thinks it has been. But I think she has come to terms with it herself. Um, she's come to terms with the sacrifice that she made and the decision that she made. And part of the journey of the story for her is coming to that realization that, you know what, if I were presented with this same decision to make, I would make it all over again. So knowing the good, knowing the bad, knowing the positives and the negatives, yes, I would make that same decision again today. And I think that that really helps Audrey uh, with her own self-acceptance um, and, and that sort of her narrative arc. Mm -hmm. What was the most fun part of writing this book for you? <laughs> the most fun part were the scenes with Laurel's 10-year-old son, Oliver. Um, I have a son myself. He's now 17. But I guess when I was writing the book, he was probably, I don't know, 14, 15. But obviously, he was 10 at one point in time. Um, and I just, I love children anyway. And I enjoy writing about children and just the way they look at the world um, and the way that they learn how to navigate life's ups and downs. I really found myself whenever there was a scene where Oliver was present, I just couldn't help it. I just was grinning from ear to ear as I wrote him. <laughs> so I would definitely say that uh, any scene where Oliver appears uh, was fun for me to write. It was kind of fun when he discovered a buried treasure. 
of right? sorts. <laughs> you resist that, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Something for everyone. Um, so what are you working on now, Heather? I am working on a new novel. I'm really excited about it. It is set back in Western North Carolina, which is where my first novel, Maranatha Road, was set. And that's actually where I'm from, uh, south of Asheville, North Carolina. And it's about a family, uh, a dramatic summer that they spend together. There's, you know, an accident, an injury, and everybody is struggling to deal with their own feelings of guilt and shame over that, blaming themselves. Um, It's three generations. So at least in its current iteration, um, it's a grandfather, uh, his daughter, and then the daughter's children. Um, So I'm really having fun with it. Wow. So when does that come out? Well, it's very early stages. I haven't even shown it to my agent yet. So fingers okay, crossed okay. that it <laughs> the light of day, right? <laughs> well, good luck with that. And it was lovely talking to you. Best of luck in um, hope lots and lots of people get a look at the good luck stone. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. You asked such insightful questions and I really appreciate the chance to have this time with you. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I've been talking with author Heather Bell Adams about her novel, The Good Luck Stone. Hope all you listeners are able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow too. Happy reading.